And it's another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that be live over at Joy620 or you're listening to the podcast at investinghope.com, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Alexa. However you want to listen, you can do that, and we certainly encourage your uh, listening. Uh, we want you to know what's going on in our country, around the world, in our state when it comes to life and abortion. Today I'm going to talk about some, some news out of Texas some big news. So what we're going to start with is uh, the data is in, and we're going to see what has occurred since the Texas law has been put in place and the Supreme Court has allowed it to stay in place. Uh, and then we're going to look at, there's a, there's a piece over the New York Times uh, talking about, uh, again, remember the language here. And even the, the author of this particular article talks about the language and how important it is. And we're going to talk about, is it a heartbeat or not? Uh, and up until, I don't know, 15 seconds ago, it was a heartbeat, and then they've changed their language on the abortion side. So we'll talk about that, but let's start with, out of the AP, some, some big numbers coming in. Abortions in Texas fell by 60% in the first month under the most restrictive abortion law in the U.S. in decades, according to new figures that for the first time reveal a full accounting of the immediate impact. The nearly 2,200 abortions reported by Texas providers in September came after a new law took effect that bans the procedure once cardiac activity is detected. Again, that's the heartbeat. Usually around six weeks of pregnancy and without exceptions in cases of rape or incest. The figures were released this month by the Texas Health and Human Services Commission. In August, there had been more than 5,400 abortions statewide. State health officials said more data will be released on a monthly basis. The numbers offer a fuller picture of the sharp drop in patients that Texas doctors have described in their clinics over the past five months, during which time courts have repeatedly allowed the restrictions to stay in place. It has left some Texas patients traveling hundreds of miles to clinics in neighboring states or farther, causing a backlog of appointments in those places. Planned Parenthood issued a statement calling the numbers the very beginning of the devastating impact of the law. Now think about that. This article and Planned Parenthood and abortion proponents are saying this is the very beginning of the devastating impact. So the fact that 60% of babies actually lived, that we know of, they, they, you know, obviously the mom could have driven to another state, but we've seen a decline of 60% of abortions in the state of Texas, and the abortion proponents say that is devastating. It's devastating that, that babies are getting a chance at life. That's what they would call devastating. The Texas law conflicts with landmark U.S. Supreme Court rulings that prevent a state from banning abortion early in pregnancy. But it was written in a way that has essentially outmaneuvered those precedents. Yeah, that's what politicians do. They get creative. The left do it. The right do it. But for some reason, when the right do it, when it comes to abortion, uh, they're called terrible things. Under the law, any private citizen is entitled to collect $10,000 or more if they bring a successful lawsuit against someone who performed or helped a woman obtain an abortion after the limit, which opponents have condemned as a bounty. So far, no anti-abortion supporters have filed any suits. With few options left, Texas abortion providers have acknowledged the law is likely to stay on the books for the foreseeable future. Since the Texas law took effect, similar measures have been introduced in GOP-controlled state houses nationwide, but none have passed. Arizona Republicans this month continued moving swiftly to outlaw abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy. It comes as the U.S. Supreme Court has signaled a willingness to weaken or reverse the landmark Roe v. Wade precedent in a ruling that is expected later this year. 
If that happens, as many as 26 states would institute abortion access restrictions within a year if permitted by the court, according to the Guttmacher Institute, a research organization that supports abortion rights. At least 12 states have, quote, trigger bans, that's Tennessee, one of those, on the books with restrictions that would kick in automatically if the justices overturn or weaken federal protections on abortion access. Folks, we live in the freest society on the planet. We progressed far further than any of us could have dreamed of, than our grandparents could have dreamed of, than our great-grandparents could have dreamed of. We've reached a point now where we can take selfies of babies in the womb. We've reached a point now where we know the gender. We've reached a point now where we can do uh, a number of different things to know what's happening in the womb. We've reached a point now where we can actually perform successful surgeries on babies in the womb. We've reached a point where babies can survive outside of the womb at 22 weeks, 23 weeks. So viability is now sooner than it was years ago. Yet, the abortion industry would have you believe that a 60% decline in abortions in the state of Texas is devastating. They would have you believe that, that it's devastating that more babies might have an option at living. They would have you believe that it's devastating that women can't end the life of the baby inside their womb. Why is it devastating? It's devastating because what we're not seeing in this report, which I would love to see, is what has this done to the budgets of abortion in, of the abortion industry? How much money are they losing? Well, I mean, if there's 60% less abortions, then they've lost 60% of the funds from abortion. You see, it, it's interesting when you read these articles, when we, when we find these articles, and they're written from a perspective of, of pro-abortion, they tend to leave things out. Just like when I, when I mentioned last week about an article attacking pregnancy centers, at no point when they said that pregnancy centers across the country received $89 million in state funds, at no point did they tell you how much money abortion clinics are receiving from state and federal funds. You see, they don't want you to know that. They don't want to highlight that, and they actually think that the abortion industry receiving those funds is okay. So they're not going to write about it because it's okay. It's okay that Planned Parenthood receives half a billion dollars a year from our federal government. It's okay. So they don't have a problem with that, but, but oh boy, you let pregnancy centers receive $89 million across the board. Now that's all split up. That's a drop in the bucket to each pregnancy center. But you know what? None of those funds allowed for those pregnancy centers to end the life of anyone. Now, I know some people will hear this and they go, well, the, there's laws in place that, that don't allow federal funds to, or taxpayer dollars to actually uh, pay for abortions. Now, I would argue that in, at the state level they do. California is paying for abortions. There's other states that are doing that. But, yeah, from the federal government, technically, those funds can't be used for abortion. But, again, budgets are fungible. And so if, if you receive X amount of dollars and are told you can't use that for X, Y, or Z, then, okay, you won't use it for X, Y, Z, but, but it's going to free up other funds to be used for X, Y, or Z. So it all works together. Yet there's no articles written about that. 
You see, because the narrative and the mission is clear. They, they want abortion at no cost. It's the quote-unquote right that trumps all rights. And they're saying the quiet part out loud that it's devastating that these numbers are declining. So they'll tell you out of one, one side of their mouth that we don't want abortion. We actually want to see less abortions. They'll tell you that. I've heard abortion proponents say that. No one wants an abortion. We just need access to it. But we want to see less abortions. For a long time, we were told it's about safe, legal, and rare, meaning we don't want more abortions. But then we see their true colors when they say that, oh, there was a 60% decline in Texas. Well, that's devastating. Well, why is it devastating? I thought we didn't want more abortions. I thought the goal was to have less abortions. You see, that's not their goal. Their goal is to have abortion, period, full stop, as many as possible. That's what they want. That's what culture wants. And that's what secular societies give you. And then they, they try to have support groups, and they want bereavement, and they want all these things. But none of those things make sense when their ultimate goal is to end abortions or, or to have abortions. That's their ultimate goal. It's a weird place to be. So I would celebrate the fact that we've seen a 60% decline. And, and I think that number, of course, is going to lead other states to pass laws similar to that of Texas. Why wouldn't it? Just like the Mississippi law that's going to be looked at by the Supreme Court. Why wouldn't more states, I guarantee you there are states waiting for that decision. There are some states that are saying we're not going to wait. We're going to pass the exact same law in the hopes that it will be held up by the courts. But, But with the Texas law, you don't have to wait. The data doesn't lie. We've seen the numbers, at least for one month. It'll be interesting to see how that progresses, but at least for that one month, we saw a 60% decline. That's a big deal. And, you know, people will say, well, it's a burden, and where are these women going to go, and they have to cross state lines, and they have to travel, and they have to do this. And it, Look, if you are going to seek to end the life of the baby inside of you, I'm sorry if you have to travel a little bit further. But that's a pretty big decision, a forever decision that can't be undone. So at some point as a society, we're going to have to look at this and say, is it okay? Is it okay to take life? We would, most of us would say no. Yet, the abortion industry says it's devastating to see the numbers out of Texas. It's not so devastating for those babies that get a chance to live. It's not so devastating for for families that are getting to adopt that child. It's not so devastating for that mom who had to make the decision to choose life and is now holding her baby, getting ready to hold her baby, and going, man, I'm so thankful I chose to have this baby. So, yeah, words do matter. And calling a decline in abortion devastating is, says a lot more about the person using that phrase than it does about the law.
You see, to me, that law is not devastating. That law should be celebrated because it's working. And so far, no one has sued anybody. But it is deterring people from getting abortions. And what does this say about our culture and society that there's a backlog or a long wait time at an abortion clinic? That folks are lined up waiting for an abortion. What does that say about us? You know, it's, it's, it's sad. That's what it is. It's sad that this is happening. It's sad that that women feel the need to get abortions. It's sad that men step out and, and don't take up responsibility. It's sad that, that these abortion clinics are making millions of dollars off the back of these women. It's, it's sad that, that we as a culture celebrate it. It's sad that people will, quote-unquote, shout their abortion. That, those, all th- those are things that are sad. Yet here we are. Here we are in 2022 where people scream, trust the science, believe the science. Well, science says that's a life in the womb. Science says that abortion ends the life of that child. That's what it says. Now, we can, we can use all the kind of words that we want to use, but the reality is we all know that's a baby. We all know that's a human. We all know that you walk into an abortion clinic pregnant and you walk out not pregnant. What happened? Just like when my wife had a miscarriage, we walked into the clinic pregnant and the doctor looked at us and said, you are no longer pregnant. What happened? The baby died. See, there's no gray area there. And we need to come to grips with that as a society. We need to hold people accountable that say it's devastating that, that more babies got a chance to live in Texas. That's not devastating. That should be a moment of celebration. And so we'll see how all this plays out. But pay attention to the words that they use. The article that I'm about to reference in the next segment, I want you to pay attention to the words that they use. They all got the memo. We're going to change our language because our language was hurting our case and our narrative. And so they changed the language. And you'll see about that when we come back. That's good stuff. That's Stephen Curtis Chapman. It's a great song. Have you watched? There's a movie on Netflix called A Week Away. Uh, it's, it's a Christian musical. And you hear that and you're like, oh, that's probably terrible. No, it actually isn't. It's really nice. And, and what they've done is they've taken that song. They've taken a song by Amy Grant. They've taken songs by uh, Michael W. Smith, and they've modernized them. The actors are great. The singing's great. The dancing is great. It's a good movie. And my kids have now, they're now going around the house singing Saddle Up Your Horses. They're, they're going around the house singing Michael W. Smith stuff, Amy Grant stuff. It's great. Love it. And, uh, and so highly recommend A Week Away. On Netflix, if you if you haven't watched it, watch it with your family. Uh, you won't regret it. I, I'm, right now, I'm going to shift gears and look at an article out of the New York Times. It's interesting. This article was written and posted uh, on February 14th, Valentine's Day. And the reason I say that is because this particular article is going after the phrase heartbeat. So on Valentine's Day, the day of hearts, the day of love, they posted 
this article to attack pro-lifers that would claim there's a heartbeat in the womb in the earliest stages of development for the baby. The headline says, abortion opponents hear a heartbeat. Most experts hear something else. Now, uh, yeah, that's not true. What, who are most experts? We, we have four children. Uh, we, were, we were pregnant with a fifth. And every time we went to get an ultrasound, they said, here's the heartbeat. They didn't say, hey, here's some pulses that are pulsing, electrical pulses, cardiac activity. No, they said this is the heartbeat. And the time that we were pregnant and lost that child in miscarriage, you know what they said? There's no sign of heartbeat. Are, are those not experts, those OBs and those uh, ultrasound technicians and the folks that we saw at our doctor's office? But you see, this is, this is how they want to phrase things. Again, the memo went out a few years ago. We're going to stop using the term heartbeat, and we're going to change it to something else. And all these journalists that have a, a, a narrative and an agenda, well, they're just going to use that language. Because, again, they're trying to dehumanize the baby, dehumanize the fetus. And so here's what the article says. It says, the Texas law banning abortions after about six weeks of pregnancy is based on a singular premise disputed by many medical experts. Whenever they say that, many medical experts. It's like when people say uh, there's, there's a, a, a big uproar on social media. Is there? Or you as a journalist went out and picked about three people that were in an uproar on social media and you painted it as if a bunch of people were upset. So when they say things like many experts, who are these experts? How many of them? Two? Three? Ten? Twenty? Like you're going to have to get really high to make this make sense. But yeah, they don't, they're not going to give you a number. They're just going to say many experts. Look, I've read other, other uh, journalists, and they've wrote this, and so I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say many experts. So, so pay attention to their language when you're reading these articles. So it's based on a singular premise disputed by many medical experts that once an ultrasound detects electrical cardiac activity in an embryo, notice that language. No one talks like that. Up until about 15 seconds ago, no one referred to the heartbeat as electrical cardiac activity. But yet here we are. It's normal language now in these pieces. So that once an ultrasound detects electrical cardiac activity in an embryo, its heart is beating and a live birth is on its way. At the very early stage of a pregnancy, however, the embryo is the size of a pomegranate seed and has only a primitive tube of cardiac cells that emit electrical pulses and pump blood. So it's pumping blood, right? So it's pumping blood. It has a tube of cardiac cells that emit electric pulses that pump blood. What pumps blood in your, in your body? Anybody? What pumps it? Oh, the heart, that's right. So here they're saying that the size of the embryo should come into play. And the size of the embryo that early is a pomegranate seed. So, you know, if you're small... You don't have value. You're nothing. You don't matter until you're a little bit bigger. That's what we're saying. That's what this article is saying. Language, it says, language has long been a battleground in the political struggle over abortion. 
And the sparring now centers on a word with deep resonance, heartbeat. The Texas law, which makes no exceptions for cases of rape or incest. Now, they, again, they always put that in there. Because, again, they, they think that pro-lifers should be the one that make exceptions. The pro-lifers should be the one compromising. If the Texas law had written in there exceptions for rape and incest, do you think the abortion industry would support the bill? Of course they wouldn't support the bill. So if they're not going to support the bill anyway, then we might as well put all our chips on the table. Am I right? They're not going to support any restrictions on abortion. So why should we compromise? But yet they write this as if, you know, if the law left exception for rape and incest, we'd be okay with it. No, they wouldn't. Of course they wouldn't. Because states have tried to do that, and they fight those laws as well. The article continues, the Texas law, which makes no exceptions, again, they've got to put that in there, for cases of rape or incest, forbids abortion at the time a, quote, heartbeat. They put heartbeat in quotes. Can be heard, which usually occurs at six weeks of gestation. The appeal is emotional. Many parents-to-be are moved by sounds during an ultrasound scan, but what the law defines as the sound of a heartbeat is not considered, again, by medical experts to be coming from a developed heart, which forms later in pregnancy. Again, who are these experts? And we all know what's happening. We all know that that little pomegranate seed is going to turn into a human. We all know that it is a human at that moment. But we know that it's going to progress. It's going to grow in size. That's why there's apps for moms that tell them, hey, you're at seven weeks. Here's, what you're, here's the size of your baby. Hey, you're at 12 weeks. Here's the size of your baby. Because we're, we're wanting to encourage them and let them know their baby is growing. You see, articles like this are nonsensical because they're, they're, they're acting as if we have no idea what's happening. But we know. At least a dozen states have passed similar heartbeat laws that could be established if Roe v. Wade were overturned. At the moment, the Supreme Court appears to be leaning toward upholding a Mississippi law that bans abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy, effectively ending the right to abortion established by the Roe decision in 1973. The potentially seismic shifts have brought renewed attention to both the scientific underpinnings of these laws and the medical claims made by educational materials that many states require to be given to women seeking abortions. Opponents of abortion say that women need to be better informed of its possible consequences, even unlikely ones. That's what they say, even unlikely ones. We really desire for women to be empowered with information, said Dr. Christina Francis, chair of the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists, which oppose abortion. Women are intelligent creatures and can make empowered choices when they have all the information they need. But many medical societies and experts say the laws and state-mandated educational materials rest on profound misconceptions about embryonic and fetal development and abortion risk. Now notice, in this article, they keep quoting experts. Now, the only experts they care about are the experts that want, to, want abortions. The only experts they care about are the ones that are promoting abortions. The experts that are members of the pro-life obstetricians and gynecologists, you see, those aren't experts because those are pro-life people. They don't know what they're talking about, even though they went to the same schools, got the same medical degrees, served the same women, delivered the same babies, have done all the stuff, you see, but they're not experts because they're pro-life. And, and this, this author of this article wants you to only listen to the experts 
that are pro-abortion, that are making money from abortion, that are making money from Planned Parenthood, that are making money from these abortion clinics. You see, they only want to listen to the quote-unquote experts that line up with their narrative. Interesting how that works. We'll continue with this and more when we come back. So as we continue to look at this article over the New York Times, again, the point that I'm trying to make here is when they, when they cite experts, look, both sides do this, conservatives, liberals, when they cite experts, they cite the experts that are on their side. You see, and then a journalist at New York Times can say, look, I'm unbiased. I'm just a journalist reporting the objective facts. That's all. But notice they didn't call them experts when they said, well, this doctor is a member of the pro-life OBGYN group. So we don't consider them experts because they're pro-life. But the experts that we talked to, they went to the same schools, they got the same degrees, that are performing the same procedures. You see, these experts care about abortion. And so they're the experts you should listen to, not the pro-life ones, because those pro-life ones have an agenda, as if the pro-abortion ones don't have an agenda. Look, we, we have to pay attention to the language. Even this article said language is important. Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. It says it, it, it goes further. But many medical societies and experts, again, there's that word, say the laws and state-mandated educational materials rest on profound misconceptions about embryonic and fetal development and abortion risk. The Texas statute, for example, requires physicians to warn women that they may face a higher risk of breast cancer or infertility if they have an abortion, despite a lack of evidence. They would say that's a lack of evidence. Although they're, they're experts, again, that say that there isn't a lack of evidence. But just like with anything, whether you're getting a shot or you're having surgery, what do they do? They list all the side effects, all the complications that may occur, anything that could possibly happen. Even though those things don't happen often, we still list them. And so, yeah, women should be educated when it comes to abortion. Women are told they could die from an abortion because women have died from an abortion. Not common, but it's happened. Though the procedure is generally considered safer than a tonsillectomy. Safer for who? You know, I I love when they connect abortion to a normal procedure. Yeah, so when you get a tonsillectomy, when you get your tonsils out, your tonsils don't have their own DNA. Your tonsils don't have its own heartbeat. Your tonsils don't have those things, its own fingerprint. But the baby that you're getting rid of, it, it, it does. It does. So that's a ridiculous comparison. Then they say, it, you know, abortion is much safer than pregnancy and childbirth. For who again? Every abortion ends the life of someone. Every one of them. Yet they're saying it's safer than, than childbirth or pregnancy. The materials also warn that having an abortion may make women depressed or suicidal. Those studies have not found that to be the case. Oh, that's interesting. Studies have not found that to be a case. But, but abortion clinics are now having support groups and counseling. Companies are now offering bereavement leave. So it's interesting. What studies and experts is this person talking to? 
what are they listening to? But yet, that's, that's what they do. They say that studies have not found that to be the case, yet, like I said, we know abortion clinics are now offering post-abortive services for counseling. We know that we talked to a number of women at Hope that are dealing with the results and ramifications of the decision they made years ago. I've talked to men that are carrying around the burden and weight. According to an analysis by the Informed Consent Project at Rutgers University, nearly one-third of statements about abortion made in patient materials from more than two dozen states are medically inaccurate. Imagine that. A a group that, that pushes abortion would say that the language is not truthful. Most of the inaccuracies pertain to description of the first trimester. They generally misrepresent certain body systems as complete or present at earlier stages of development than they actually are. They said this, laws that are written by non-medical people to regulate the practice of medicine or dictate what clinicians have to say to their patients are dangerous and affect our ability to care for patients. Now, we just heard earlier in this piece from a doctor that is delivering babies, that is serving women, that's a pro-life OBGYN, who said that women are, should be empowered with the knowledge when it comes to abortion. You see, but, but this author of this article didn't see that doctor as an expert. But here they quote Dr. Nisha Verman, a fellow at the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. You see, they're not pro-life, so they're an expert. And so if this person says there's inaccurate information, then we got to believe them. And this person goes as far as saying there's non-medical people writing it, even though we just heard earlier in this article from a pro-life OBGYN. But you're supposed to not pay attention to that. You see, the ACOG, as they go by, has objected to the idea that a fetus has a heart at six weeks. Indeed, the most fraught contention embedded in the Texas abortion law is that the fetus at that stage has a heart and that its beating represents a, quote, key medical predictor that an unborn child will reach live birth, end quote. This sound, discernible on an ultrasound scan, has become a demarcation line in anti-abortion legislation in dozens of states, though most opponents of abortion rights argue that life begins at conception. While there is little disagreement about the basic development, developmental biology, there are sharp differences about the significance. The heart is one of the first organs to start developing because the embryo's growth and survival depend on the circulation of blood carrying oxygen and nutrients. The electric activity begins at around six weeks in a tube of cells that will become a heart after multiple gyrations. So it's going to become a heart. We know that. You see, this is just semantics. You, you read this and you're like, oh, okay, well, so when the heart is in place and y'all's idea would be what, nine weeks, eight weeks, nine weeks, ten weeks? So let's just enact a law that says no abortions after that. Do you think these folks are going to go, okay, you're right. Thank you for changing. That we can get, al- get in, uh, along with. No, of course they're not going to do that. These folks want abortion all the way up to nine months. So when that heartbeat is detected means nothing to them. Zero. These are the folks that want to allow for abortion all the way up to right before it's coming out of the womb. So they're going to get caught up right here. They want you to get caught up on the language when it comes to heartbeat. They don't care about that. They want abortion no matter what. They don't want any restrictions. Zero 
restrictions. Every presidential candidate in the Democratic primary that ran, and ultimately Joe Biden won, every single one of them, except for Tulsi Gabbard, wanted zero restrictions on abortion. Every single one of them. Including our current president. Zero restrictions on abortion. So, so they want to get you caught up in the heartbeat language and six weeks, eight weeks, nine weeks. They don't care when it's detected. They don't care if it's got brain activity. They don't care anything about that. They want abortion no matter what. Yet they want us to compromise and, and change and bend and, and, and change out our value system. No. No, I, I'm not going to. I refuse. It goes further. It will bend and loop and twist itself into an S-shape. Thick cushions of embryonic tissue will grow toward one another to create walls, and a ridge on the floor of the ventricle will rise to meet them to partition the heart. If all goes well, four chambers and valves will form by the ninth or tenth week of pregnancy, and the heart will continue developing throughout gestation. But a heartbeat's familiar lub-dub, lub-dub sound is created by the closing of the heart valves, which do not exist in the six-week-old cardiac tube. To opponents of abortion, that is the distinction without difference. It is a heart tube, but it is still a heart, Dr. Francis said. You see, this is Dr. Francis, the pro-life OBGYN, who is an expert. Yet, this, the author of this article, well, they don't take Dr. Francis serious. Dr. Francis says the shape is different, but that doesn't change the essence of what it is. Another doctor, a natalist, just who is an associate scholar at the Charlotte Lozier Institute, which opposes abortion, said in an email, finding a fetal heartbeat is a sign of health. A 2004 study found that when a moving heart tube could be detected at six to eight weeks, a pregnancy, a live birth resulted 98% of the time. But that study, which compared women who had lost earlier pregnancies with those who had not, also found that cardiac activity did not lead to a live birth among one in five women who had lost previous pregnancies. The consensus among most medical experts, again, here they go. The consensus among most medical experts is that the electrical activity picked up on an ultrasound at six weeks is not the sound of a heart beating and does not guarantee a live birth. Where's this consensus at? Again, every OB we've ever seen that would probably not all claim to be pro-life. They all use the language of heartbeat. So where's this consensus? Doctors are partly to blame for the confusion. Yeah, you know, of course they are. Many physicians whose patients are excited about a desired pregnancy will use the word heartbeat to describe the cardiac activity heard on an early ultrasound. The word has even crept into the medical liter literature. So it's in medical literature. But again, these are the experts they don't want to take serious because these experts want to call it a heart, and so we don't want to deal with them. In September, representatives of the ACOG, which supports the right to abortion, said in a Senate hearing that while contemporary ultrasound can detect an electrical uh, induced flickering of a portion of the embryonic tissue at about six weeks gestation, structurally in function, a, a fetus heart develops over the entire course of pregnancy. You see, over the entire course of pregnancy. So again, that gives them the out that we can abort this baby at any point, at any time. Look, the, 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 this article goes on and on, and, and they do quote some pro-life OBs. 
But when they quote them, they don't call them experts. When they, when they talk about experts, they talk about folks that are okay with abortion. That, they talk about folks that are calling for abortion up to nine months. Those are the experts. The experts that believe life begins at conception, well, those experts are nutty, and we shouldn't listen to them. Look, we need to know what we're reading. And we need to be able to call them out when they, when they do this type of stuff. And that's what I'm going to do here every single week. We'll talk more when we come back. So as we finish up, look, you know, the, the pieces that we focused on today uh, gives you a glimpse into our current culture and narrative. You know, we go back and forth on who's an expert and who's not an expert, who trusts the science and who doesn't trust the science. But the reality is, when it comes to abortion, the only experts the bulk of the media want to listen to are those that want to see abortion happen all the way through the pregnancy. And, and the same people that will write and say, look, you know, these, these pro-lifers will say there's lasting effects and there's guilt and shame and a higher rate of suicide of those that choose abortion. There's no studies to represent that. Actually, we talk to women all the time. I've talked to men multiple times that are dealing with the shame and guilt. And, and now, as I said earlier, Abortion clinics are offering post-abortive services. Companies are offering bereavement. So, so you can't have it both ways. You can't say there's no lasting effects and there's no guilt, there's no shame, and also say, hey, come to this support group where we'll counsel and walk you through the lasting effects of abortion. Hey, do you need time off from work because of that decision you made? We'll give you that time off. You can't have both of those. It either has lasting effects and shame and guilt associated with it, or it doesn't. But see, they can't even get their language in sync with each other. And the the heartbeat thing is literally, it's ridiculous. Oh, it's not a heartbeat at six weeks. Now, at nine weeks, it's shaped like a heart, and it looks like a heart, and pumps like a heart. It's going to continue to develop throughout pregnancy. Yeah, their whole body is developing throughout the pregnancy. Like, we know that. So for them, calling it a heartbeat at six weeks, we should be able to abort all the babies at six weeks. It's not, it's not even a baby. It's just a pomegranate seed. It doesn't matter. It's so small. But I'm the crazy one. So two weeks later, after six weeks, you get to eight weeks. Three weeks later, you're at nine weeks. And it's shaped like a heart. You think they would be okay with if Texas said, okay, we'll, we'll make an amendment, we'll adjust that. We'll pass a law that says at eight weeks, at nine weeks, you can't have an abortion because a heartbeat is now in, in play. Because it's no longer electrical pulses, it's a heartbeat. Do you think ACOG and all these organizations and pro-aborts would, be, would, would shake our hand and say, thank you so much, now we can all be on the same page? Of course they're not going to do that. It's the same reason why in that article they said, when they talked about the Texas law, the Texas law that doesn't have any exception for rape and incest, as if the Texas law had those exceptions, then this author of this article would be all hunky-dory with that law. Of course they wouldn't. 
You see, what they're trying to do is to get you to backpedal and to get you to stumble. They're not compromising on anything. And so when they say things to me like rape and incest, life of the mother, I'm going to respond to them, okay, let's pass a law tomorrow with those things. Are you going to support it? And their response is going to be, well, no, I, I don't support any law that would restrict abortion. Then why are you bringing it up to me? So if you're going to go all in, abortion up to nine months, then I'm going to go all in and say no abortion ever for any reason. But then I'm called a crazy person. I'm unsympathetic. I'm mean. I'm hateful. There's no grace. There's no mercy there. Yet they go all in and they're, they're called progressive. Oh, look how amazing they are. At the March for Life the other day in D.C., women were actually taking, in protest to the March for Life, were taking abortion pills at the steps of the Supreme Court and, and shouting and screaming and celebrating. That's demonic. Yet I'm the crazy one because I believe that life is a gift and precious and deserves protection. And they're celebrating the fact that they're ending pregnancies. So I bring these articles to your attention because I want us to read them a certain way. Read them. Take them in. But understand the language that they're using. They want you to change your language so that you match the culture and society and them. And they only trust the experts that meet their agenda and their narrative. No others. And, and they talk about many experts. One last statistic I'll give you. I think it's somewhere around 80%. 80% of OBs that deliver babies do not perform abortions in this country. Why don't we talk to those experts? Why are they not performing abortions? Got to be a reason. But around 80% don't perform abortions. Yet we hear from the minority of quote-unquote experts that want us to have abortions all the way through nine months. We'll talk more next week.